Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor. Welcome. I'm so pleased today to have Jim Kerr as our special guest on this episode. Jim is the founder of Indispensable Consulting. He's also a founding board member at the Global Institute for Thought Leadership. Jim writes for CEO World Magazine, among many other publications uh, where he's he's uh, had his content uh, shared and, and writes a lot. Uh, we'll talk more about your content creation here in just a minute. Jim is also an adjunct professor at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. So, Jim, welcome. So pleased that you're with us today. Uh, Spence, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me as a guest. Absolutely. Very excited to learn from you. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of dive right in with the most important topic of the day, I think, which is you. Uh, just hearing more of, of uh, your story, kind of some of the headlines of your life, like whatever you've thought to share with us, and then uh, give us some context for what has brought you to what you're doing now. Sure. You know what? I'm going to go way back in time here and share this with your audience a, a bit. Um Grew up in a small mill town. Not a lot of folks were encouraged to go on to college. My family really uh, wanted me to break out. My grandfather and, and my father both worked at the local mill, and they wanted a better life for me. So they really promoted education and so on. So I was able to go to college, went on, got my master's degree, and again, kind of playing off of that whole theme of education is your way out. I continue to write articles and books and so on. In fact, my latest book is number six for me. So it's been something awesome. that's been, yeah, it's something that's been lifelong and and I think it's an important part um to of me and and, and kind of probably helps your audience better understand where I'm coming from in regard to thought leadership and and promoting, you know, better ways of thinking and leading. That's oh, excellent. I love it. Well, so um, I'm, I'm picturing you as a young person observing your father, grandfather putting in, I imagine, just maybe it's overly stereotypical. I don't know, but just long days of hard labor and, and they're emphasizing to you education's the way out. It sounds simple, I guess, just in the way you state it, but I know there's a lot of work and struggle and big decisions that had to have been made from that point to Fast forwarding to today, like what are some of those key points that really made the difference for you? Well, you know, I, I think a lot of it uh, stems from the fact that, you know, I had great mentors in my life. These are people early in my business career sort of took me under their wings and kind of coached me up and gave me opportunities to learn and, and to fail, frankly, right? And, and to learn from those failures and so on, which... Yeah, it's sort of part of the whole origin story that, that leads us to our conversation today, Spence. You know, it's it all adds up to um, the person I am now and, and the kinds of things that I try to promote through my work uh, and, and through my writing. Wonderful. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that you mentioned mentors. It's it's amazing how often that comes up as I ask similar questions, uh, not only to guests on the podcast, but also just to others I interact with. Uh, it's very common, whether they use the term mentor or not, uh, for them to point to a small number of key individuals who influenced them um, in, in an important way and helped them kind of find their path. And now you're, you could say, in, in some sense, you're giving back and that you're creating content and, and trying to help inspire people to 
to be better. I love the name of your firm as well. I know you have a book uh, by the same title, if, if I'm not mistaken, of Indispensable. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Uh, Indispensable Consulting is sort of a manifestation of doing consulting and leadership coaching work for the last 30 years. The book, which just came out in February, it's called Indispensable, Build and Lead a Company Customers Can't Live Without, it was well received. We, we launched it, as, as I mentioned earlier in the year. It rose uh, into a, uh, an Amazon bestseller uh, right, right around the launch, continuing to sell now. And inside that book is a bunch of stories, many of which are called from the work that I do with companies and other uh, examples from industry that sort of support the, the thesis that there's several key pieces that make up or set, I should say, set apart really great companies from, from the good ones. And, and that's what it means to be indispensable is to be one of those companies that, that customers prefer over any other that they can do business world with around the globe. I love that. And I'm excited to dig into that a bit further. So what are those key pieces? I mean, what are those points of, of differentiation between a company that's kind of surviving and it still has the lights on, but they're not really doing great things. Like they're not really growing and thriving. And then that, of course, opposite of, of somebody who can hardly keep up with all the growth and just doing amazing things. Can you kind of break down some of those elements? Sure. I know before we hit record, you, you shared some of your culture building uh, philosophy. And, and so, so maybe some of that integrates, but whatever you want to share. Yeah, great. yeah, sure. Uh, Spence, we'll go anywhere you want with this. Uh, I'll, I'll say, uh, first and foremost, it starts with leadership. You know, you, you need the right leadership mindset to be able to set direction and manage the changes that are necessary to be the, a premier provider in whatever marketplace you're in. So leadership's one of the key elements inside the book. Uh, a second one is vision. You've got to be able to articulate a vision and frame it in a story. I do a lot of vision storytelling work within my practice. And it's, it's really about translating maybe that one sense that everyone seems to fall on when they think of vision. You know, we, we will be the best insurance company in the world. We will be the greatest, you know, food provider on the planet. All that sounds great except it's a little bit too common and at least most people sort of scratching their heads about what does that mean how do you do that who do you work with how do you motivate people and so on so i'm, I'm all about you know crafting that in a story i talk about this in the book and i i show several examples from my client base where we we did just that we we took uh the ideas that the top leaders had about where they wanted to bring the company and crafted into a story that articulated in really specific terms what that company was going to be like, you know, in the future, what it would be like to work there, the kinds of customers that they would have, the kinds of products and services they deliver, the kinds of uh, employee value propositions they would offer to, to, to attract and retain talent. All that stuff's kind of in the book. And yeah, a third element, there's six, but the, th the third one is culture, as you referenced, Spence. It's a, um, it's a major part of determining how people behave inside your organization. You know, when you think of culture, and people often ask me to demystify it, and I'll, I'll tell them this, you know, look, culture is about behavior, and those behaviors are passed down from generation to generation of, of staffer, and, you know, 
people define what good looks like for the next generation of worker. And, and if your culture is not bringing you into that indispensable sort of uh, title, you know, or, or, or mindset within your customer base, then you probably need to shift it so that you become the preferred vendor of choice in whatever business you're in. I'm curious what companies struggle with the most as you walk them through this. Is there a certain point where they tend to not necessarily resist, but just have a, there's a bit of a gap between where you know they can get and where they are and something that's difficult? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of the work that we do is to kind of call out from the thought leaders within uh, an organization and get their best ideas and thinking and see how we might be able to identify common themes that would be the underpinnings of a vision story. And that's done in a very deliberate way. I've got a methodology that I use, you know, quite successfully with clients to, to get that stuff out. Then, of course, you have to socialize it. You know, a big part of developing the story is telling the story. So we craft it first, and then we've got to kind of get it out there so people can absorb it and see themselves being extremely successful uh, in helping you as a leader achieve that vision that you have. So you've got to make sure there's something in it for your staffers in order to uh, engage them and motivate them to bring their best to work every day. So it's kind of two parts. It's build it and then tell it. Great. And I love that you kind of started down the path a little bit of uh, articulating some steps. I'm a very formulaic thinker, I guess. I like to kind of think of of the recipe or the key inputs. So I, I just jotted down a few things. So craft the story, socialize the story, visualize your success. Uh, again, I might be listing these out of order somehow. And then the, identify the what's in it for them or what, you know, what's in it for us uh, kind of a question. Is that right? Or how, like, what, what are the pieces yeah. I might have missed there? Yeah, I think you got it. You know, um, the big thing is to make sure that that story is compelling and engaging. You've got to make sure that people can see themselves, as I mentioned, being successful within your paradigm. Therefore, the story is going to be good. It's got to be something that you uh, can hang a hat on, that, that you can tell customers, that you can tell people that you're recruiting into your organization, and that they can, and it resonates with those audiences that people want to be part of, even your stakeholder community. You know, you you want investors to buy into what you're trying to do. So, so being able to uh, to tell a story that's that's compelling and engaging is absolutely critical, you know, for setting the tone and, and defining the follow-on strategies that you'll you'll need to put in place in order to achieve that vision. So the vision thing is sort of the first step in strategic planning, and then the next step, of course, is translating that vision into actionable things that the organization can staff, fund, and execute in order to bridge the gap from wherever they are today to where you want to bring the organization as a top leader. So, so yeah, it's kind of all of the above. And again, the, the book kind of highlights what those steps are. It describes some of the things that went well with clients, some of the things that didn't go so well, lessons learned, and so on. So, it, it, you know, hopefully if someone picks up the book, they can see that there's something in it for them, and something they can learn through sort of that uh, community of experience that I, I lay out in the book. Fantastic. Uh, that's great. And we'll certainly put a link to the book uh, in the, the show notes as well. 
Uh, you know, as you've been talking, I had a memory come to me of uh, being in a, I was giving a presentation and as I checked in with the person at the front desk, she knew what that I was going to be speaking about leadership. Um, and she basically said, Hey, make sure you don't forget about the non-leaders, like make, make sure you don't, you don't just try to help the leaders, like make sure that the leaders also help their people. Uh, so I guess making that connection between a line worker and kind of an old term, I guess, but uh, you know, that individual contributor, I guess is, is probably the new way to say it. And the leader who built the vision and created the story, how do you make sure that there's a connection there? You know, you mentioned various stakeholders that are involved. Uh, at least in my mind, that that individual contributor is one of the most important because they're the ones that are actually doing the work in most businesses, right? They're they're the ones executing and making it happen for customers. So they need to feel connected to that bigger vision. And through your methodology, you've helped the leadership team or the key leader. Uh, draw out and create the vision and tell the story and socialize it. But how do you make that connection to the individual? Well, there's a lot to that question, Spence. Um, But back to the methodology a little bit, just to um, help the audience kind of see how there's a connection, a natural connection from the top to the bottom in this. You start off with the top and things like uh, one-on-one interviews to get their best thinking and so on. Then what I like to do is, is hold workshops where people can hear each other talk. So I tend to get the middle tier of an organization together in small groups, and we talk about some of the things that I found in my interviews with their top leaders. I won't necessarily quote anybody verbatim or anything, but I'll try to you know tickle out some reactions to some of the ideas that, that are in those interviews. Then I go to a third level, which is really getting to the troops in the trenches. And I use things like survey instruments and, and even additional workshops to provide an opportunity for the folks that are, as you say, are doing the work to actually weigh in on it and help to shape the vision story a bit. So then once you get all that input, that's the stuff that you're going to write about in the story. I tend to write it from the bottom up. So I write it from the worker up to the top leader, not from the top down. So I solicit all these different points of view. I synthesize the results that I get at at sort of the three layers of the organization, if you think of an organization as having a top, a middle, and an operational level. And um, I um, tell the story as if it's from the eyes of the person doing the work, however they're doing it, whether it's a lineman out in the field somewhere, you know, way in line, or it's uh, an office worker you know, fielding customer phone calls or sort of anything in between. You you want to make sure that people see themselves in that story that you're telling about the future. Well, I love that. And I really admire just the way you go about that. Of Ultimately, once the story, all the steps that you've laid out for us so nicely have been carried out, that the story is told from the perspective of that uh, customer facing or, you know, uh, yeah. line worker type uh, employee. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one, one more thing, kind of riffing on what you, what you just said, Spence, you know, the customer determines whether you're indispensable or not. You, you don't get a vote in the matter, <laughs> you know? So yeah. at the end of the day, it's their experience. It's their thing that you're sort of playing a supporting role in, whether you're providing products, services, what have you. It's about them. It's not about you. So you've got to make sure that, you know, that the story acts as a motivator to help your staff align with what you're trying to achieve in the marketplace 
and they behave in ways, and that's where culture comes in, you know, reinforced through culture, behave in the ways that enable your customer to form an opinion that they can't live without you. That's what indispensable is really all about. Well, I think every company wants that. Uh, so what, what are those key elements that uh, say we have two companies that are roughly equal size and maturity and all that, like all, all the product itself, the output is is almost exactly the same. Maybe it's even a commoditized industry where it's all about price. How do you differentiate? Like how does company A leap to that place of being indispensable uh, what where company B is going to miss the mark? Like what is it that sets those two apart from the customer's viewpoint? What words and phrases are they using to describe that preferred vendor compared to the alternative? I'm not sure that it's formulaic. I, I don't know that I sure. can lay out the formula for that, but I will say that you're if you're always there for your customer, however they define there, <laughs> sure. then they're going to form an opinion like, they can't do business or they can't carry on without you. Even if you're selling direct to consumer, you know, you've got certain preferences. You like Coke over Pepsi for whatever reason. Certainly flavor could be part of it, but there's this whole other thing about consistency and and, and what you've come to expect and maybe how you define cola, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing that's going to hook you. And we as uh, top leaders sort of shaping strategies for the marketplace have to make sure that we're delivering products and services in the ways, in the specific ways that our customers expect them to be delivered to them. And it's all the above. It's your talent base. It's your product base. It's your engineering. It's your product design and so on. Certainly marketing plays a role, but all of it has to align. And as suggested you know, earlier in our conversation today, you know, it's it's got to align with your vision story. Absolutely. Oh, that's so well put. I love how simple this is, really, when it comes down to it. I love that first thing you said in response to the question was if you're always there for your customer, whatever there means, according to them, uh, I think that's the key is you're listening to the customer actively and not just a one point, one time event of we're going to go launch this new product. So let's go listen to our customers so that we can get it right. But years after that product has been launched, continuing the listening process and getting additional feedback and adapting as you go, you know, it is not the strongest that survives, but the one that is most able to adapt. Right. And right. to me, that, that ties into this principle. Absolutely, Spence. I mean, it, being able to pivot and reset and take in the input that you receive, whether it's from your customers or your competitors or your workers or your stakeholders of some sort, are all important in that first sort of leg of indispensability about leadership. If I'm a leader that can accept the fact that today is always going to be different from yesterday and be okay with that, comfortable with the fact that things are going to change and willing to embrace change and, and, and take what we can learn from it and make ourselves better by it, then I'm going to tend to build businesses that can be resilient, that can accommodate the shifts that happen. I mean, think of the last year and a half, right, with this worldwide pandemic. Very few of my clients created scenario plans that would address that. Now, I do a lot of scenario planning as well, right? So there were a couple of clients that were sort of informed enough to consider the idea that a worldwide pandemic was something that was possible in their lifetimes, right? So they did have plans. And guess what the plans call for? 
you know, remote workforce, different kind of training, different kind of communication, you know, and so on. So when the pandemic really sort of took root, they were able to execute on those strategies that they had put together during the scenario planning process, but most didn't. That said, a lot of businesses were able to pivot. They were able to catch up fast. They had the capability, they saw what was going on, and they took the steps necessary to survive. So, hmm. you know, it, it can be done. I, I, again, just feel like you've got to be willing as a leader to be comfortable with the fact that things are going to change every day and that you're going to have to react to that the best you can. It's just going to be part of your, lead, part of your leadership mindset, as I said earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I love that encouragement for sure. I think that's something that uh, people can certainly uh, take to the bank, so to speak, and go and apply. And that's kind of how we'll end here. It, it, maybe it's already been said, just how nicely you put it there. But is there something uh, in addition to that that listeners can take and, and put into work, uh, into application in their in their leadership role today that, that uh, you'd like to challenge them with? Sure. You know, I, I know, it'll be kind of a play on what I mentioned earlier. And it's this, I, I would say leadership is about them. It's not about you. So if you want to be an effective leader, you've got to make sure that you're putting your people first, that you're giving them what they need to be successful, that you're appropriately inspiring them, that you're behaving in ways that you want them to behave, you know, in the ways that you want them to behave as well, and that they're delivering this experience to your customers that make your customers prefer you over anyone else. So it's about them. It's not about us. And, and too many leaders I see out there making themselves into rock stars. I'm not sure if that's really an effective way to pull an organization forward. I think a better way is to kind of start with the idea that, that we're here to develop the people who will actually deliver the goods. I love that. What a great invitation. So make it about them, not about you. Put them first. Give them what they need to be successful. Yeah, so well, well put. I really appreciate that. Well, so Jim, this has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. What What's the best way for people to connect with you and and your company as well? Sure. You know, I can be found online. It's indispensable consulting dot com. I'm also on LinkedIn. It's uh, you know James Kerr on LinkedIn, and um, you know drop me a line, reach out otherwise, and I'll be welcoming any comments, thoughts, questions that your uh, your audience might have. Okay, excellent. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely pass those along to you as they come in. And i uh, just, just so grateful you'd spend this time with me today, Jim. Thanks tons. Yeah, you're welcome, Spencer. It was great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit LumenLeader.com. We'll see you next time.